This week, we begin in Midland, Texas, where sometimes the earth can just open up and swallow someone. Then we travel southbound to Austin, Texas, where a date goes wrong and a diary tells all. Welcome to episode 36 of Texas 1031. But we went hiking and uh, near the end of our hike, it was like a really short hike because we Mm -hmm. had to get back. And we passed, we were on this like flat part of the trail. So we're just like chugging along and we hear a rattle and I just keep walking along. So I was like, snake. Yeah. I was like, rattlesnakes are only in Texas. And are they in Colorado? They're in Colorado. Yeah. Everyone was like, no, that was definitely a rattlesnake. You didn't hear that. And I fucking booked it. (laughs) And it comes after you. They were like, no, it's not, it's more scared of you than you are of it. It's not going to harm you. Don't be scared of snakes. I was like, no, they're going to fucking. No, 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 no. They don't have arms or legs. They're murderous. It's terrifying. Yeah. So I had no idea. All the brush I was walking through, I did not know snakes were in Colorado. <laughs> I just <laughs> thought it I was all butterflies the, but and like, bears. Was it snowing yet? Was it even cold? Not yet. But yesterday was 37. So Fuck. we missed it. We were there when it was the high was 86. So it was like 60 to 86. I remember going to Colorado one summer. My dad's birthday's in June and it snowed then. Whoa. Like out of nowhere. That's crazy. Yeah. So I didn't know if like, because I was thinking snakes might go away. Yeah. Seasonally or whatever no, the yeah, term is. No, yeah. Going to their like <laughs> snake hole High lounge. High yeah. <laughs> Snake hole lounge. That sounds like a bad bar. <laughs> that is a bad bar for fucking uh, Parks and Rec. Oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, it is. I thought that was like Mouse Rat or whatever. That's the band. That's the band. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. This is Cassie and Hannah. This is Texas 1031, and this is a true crime podcast. A Texas true crime podcast. Whoops. I was like, fuck, are we not saying that anymore? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So as you guys should know by now, uh, we cover lesser known murder cases that, oh God, the hiccups, have occurred in Texas. (laughs) Uh, Cassie is first this episode, but before we start, as usual, is there anything that we want to recommend? No. A good night's sleep. I recommend the Raw and Sons Oktoberfest because we won fucking gold, motherfuckers. <laughs> so that's fine. Do you have one? Uh, yeah. I ha- well, I don't really have like recommendations. I just have like a few things I wanted to mention. Yes. Um. Yeah, I haven't really been watching or listening to anything interesting lately, but yeah. I think we both want to thank Rich Marini yes. for his article in the San Antonio Express News. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. Uh, we posted it on social media and stuff, so if you want to read it, it's there. But uh, I guess female power high five to yeah. all the other ladies that were involved as well. Lady pods. Yeah, mm-hmm. and if I think we might have gotten sent a link where it was like we, we didn't have to pay to read oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I'm doing, um, I'm researching one of his stories for a future episode, and um, I needed to pay 99 cents to subscribe to San Antonio Express News. So if you want to go read the article, just do that. It's 99 cents. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you can just, cancel like whenever. Yeah, just support, you know, small, pub- not small, but <laughs> publications, I guess. Yeah. Like, 
newspapers are important. Not everything's free, people. No, exactly. Yeah, I almost literally, <laughs> like, when I clicked on the link to the article you sent me for hit for the thing I'm researching, I was like, ugh, I don't want to pay. And oh, I, I didn't like, realize that it was a paid one. I was yeah, like, I was like, wait, pay. what am I doing? Yes, pay not yeah, a dollar yeah. to support an author. Like, come on. Whoops. Yeah. Um, but yes, thank you, Rich. Um... That's really kind of it. I have one more thing, but before we go into that, I'll, we can finish anything else we want to say about fun stuff. I have one more thing because it's not – well, it, it, it should be fun stuff. But um, remember your deadline to register to vote for Texas elections is October 9th. So make sure you do that. It's just really easy. You know, just type in on Google, how do I register to vote in Texas? And you can check your registration, make sure it's up to date, make sure you have to make any address changes before that. So, um, yeah, definitely whoever you're voting for, just make sure you're registered and you're able to do it. So that's mine. Yeah. Speaking of dates, this is the last thing that I'll say before we get into the murder. I sat down the other day and made a list of all of our victims thus far and the dates they died. Oh, wow. Then I organized them chronologically in the month they were killed. So wow. I want to start doing a victim remembrance shout out yeah. each month. Um, it'll just take like five seconds. So, you know, our obsession with names and dates. So this is for the month of September. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. <laughs> that couch needed to be washed. It's fine. <laughs> Um, so 9-2-1988 is Courtney Clayton. 9-2-2014 is Naya Viegas. 9-10-2007, Hannah Mack. 9-11-1988, Forrest Henderson and Richard Rottenberry. 9-11-2009, Shelley Nance. And 9-20-1995, Leona McBee, Tassie Boone, Libby Best, and Reba Best. And then lastly, 9-29-1995, Madeline Murray O'Hare, Robin Murray O'Hare, and John Garth Murray. Fuck. Yeah. That's a huge bummer. That's why we're here. Yeah, definitely. We're here to remember them. Yeah. I just thought that would be something nice because I feel like yeah. we never remember, like, who was that person and when did that happen? And then, like, I'll run across articles and it's like, oh, well, I covered that case and the anniversary was just, like, a month ago. Right. And I'm like, oh, I should have said something. Yeah, I you like know? that. That's a good idea. Yeah. Just yeah. quick little whatever. Definitely keep doing that. Um, Let's see here. It'll be our year anniversary next week. Oh, yeah. Yay! Boy, Yay! whole year. Woo! <laughs> I can't believe it. Me neither. Where's the time gone? I know. It's, it, I mean, so much has changed. Like, Hannah mm-hmm. has a, a beautiful house. We're sitting on in a podcast room yeah. that was not here a year ago. <laughs> oh, we were in my mom's house. Yeah. Gross. We have new tattoos. We have new hair colors. Kind of. What like color was my hair? hair when we started? Was it still green? I, it, was, it was coming off of being green. Ah, uh, the... Yeah minty vomit color (laughs) oh man uh fuck i need to get my notebook and then we can start because then i gotta take notes on your thing (laughs) so this week i'm talking about christy lynn booth and i'm just gonna say her name for now so i keep a little bit of suspense so february 2nd 1980 on a chilly saturday evening in midland texas 19 year old christy booth decides to go out dancing um this petite pretty brunette is dropped off at a disco club called dimensions um it's a weird name for a club dimensions dementia no like another dimension yeah not dementia i would call it dementia always and forever but i mean dimensions kind of has that like 70s disco vibe you know what i mean like right out of the 70s yeah all right dimensions maybe there was like different stories inside and it was like here's dimension (laughs) probably not (laughs) um so 
She was loaning her maroon 1975 or 77. Um, the articles weren't really sure what exact year her car was, but AMC Pacer to her friend Ron Ferenberg this evening. So he was the one to drop her off and was going to come back later um, to pick her up around 11 p.m. So Dimensions was a popular club amongst young adults, and it did have a bar and a huge dance floor. Um, It has long been closed. It actually closed later this year, 1980. Why is that? So it's interesting. I don't know, and I could Mm. not find out why. There's a lot of interesting stuff like that in this. Um, So when Ron arrived at Dimensions at 11 p.m., Christy was nowhere to be found. He did say that he found her shoes and coat inside the club. But it was below freezing that night. It was around 20 degrees. So Wind River. That's suspect. <laughs> oh, God. Ugh. I don't want to think about that movie. <laughs> um, so Ron figured that she had gone home with another friend, and he left. Christy's car, though, which he was borrowing, was found two days later abandoned on February 4th on the side of, like, a, a highway. It also had 268 miles added to it that were unaccounted for. So Ron Farenberg was initially considered a suspect yeah. in Christie's disappearance because she was not seen after this, after he dropped her off at the club. Mm-hmm. But he was cleared by polygraph oh, goody. and nothing more. Was that when, I guess, those were still admissible and considered yep. correct? Because it's 1980, DNA isn't even like a whisper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he still took, took her car. I guess she, he had permission. I don't I, know, whatever. I don't know. So Christy did live at home with her parents and siblings, but she wasn't reported missing for five days. So another weird thing. Um, it was said that she... Hold on, how old was she again? 19. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. How was she able to go to a club? Uh, it was popular among young adults, so it was probably like an 18, 18 and up club. Thing, or, or, yeah. I guess it was the 80s. No right. Um, so it was said that she did have a happy home life, and her neighbors were shocked to hear that she was missing. So this wasn't really like Christy. But her parents so, still waited five days. Mm-hmm, I have thoughts on that. Yeah, me too. So Christy has never been seen again, uh, and her body has never been found. Foul play is definitely suspected. But good old Ronnie Farenberg died in October of 1981, just a little over a year How after. How did he die? Couldn't find that. The article I was reading. That's a little suspicious. Uh-huh, cited a link to his Ancestry.com page, which has since been removed. So I couldn't find any death. I found the death <coughs> records from Midland. I couldn't mm-hmm. find any birth cause date, of cause of death, anything. So Ron's dead. The only person who maybe knows her right. whereabouts. The case remains open today. Um, and it received many tips in the beginning, but it went cold after six months. So, just a little bit about Christy before we go into... This is a really quick one, because we have a lot of questions yeah, and theories. Yeah, yeah. Like, a lot. So, Christy Lynn Booth was born on December 26th, 1960. So, she would be 20... Fuck, I think it's 23 days older. Younger than my mom. <laughs> yeah. So, this, my mom was doing the same shit mm-hmm. at the same time. Going to clubs at 19. Mm-hmm. So that was a little, and she kind of looks like my mom did at that age. So it's very weird. Um, The night she went missing, she wore a white button-down shirt, a pink vest, Levi jeans. Um, Her nickname was also Chris, K-R-I-S-S. And Christy was a graduate, a recent graduate of Lee High School, where she had been involved in a lot of extracurriculars. She was in the art club, the future homemakers of America. 
Um, and she was currently working as a cocktail waitress at a restaurant that has since been closed. Mm-hmm. Her family has never really received any closure, but I couldn't find much more on her or them. Remember, this is happening in the 80s, so that's before the internet. That's before, you know, this made the newspaper, I'm sure, but I don't think it made national news because it's just a missing yeah girl if it was like dallas or something maybe maybe, but it's a small town so it's not gonna get anything yeah so (laughs) questions and theories um my first question is how did ron die because that seems very suspicious to me that this person who was from all accounts um he seemed to be a peer of hers so around Mm -hmm. the same age maybe a couple years older but that's pretty random that he died october the following year mm-hmm. um polygraph is definitely not good enough now it's not admissible it's not i mean if you're a sociopath you can easily pass a polygraph if you have any number of different issues or biological whatever you can mm-hmm. easily pass a polygraph so i can just be determined inconclusive and it, nothing comes yeah, from it. You know yeah. what I mean? so i don't see how <laughs> even in ugh, I know it's small town America and it's the late 70s, you know, very, very early 80s. But I don't see how that was good enough for police. Like this person has her car. He abandons it. Like I read there's. Um, it just shows a little guilt there or suspicion. Yeah. It makes you sus- seem suspicious because you're acting weird. Bizarre. Yeah. Why would you go drive 300 miles and then leave it somewhere? There are Reddit threads and web sleuth threads that I read. And some people totally missed the point. They missed that he was borrowing her car. He went back to the club and she wasn't there Mm -hmm. without her shoes and coat, which makes no sense. That is foul play. Where did he find him? Bathroom? Lost and found? Like, what the fuck? Like, was there... What I kind of got the sense of was it was maybe, especially with her outfit, it might have been kind of a kicker bar. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe she took off her shoes. She to took dance off her shoes or dance. Yeah, that's... like her jacket because it was warm. She got hot. Right. Whatever. So I can see that, but her leaving definitely couldn't have been willingly. Um, one of the people in the web sleuths comment was like, "I'm her age. I remember those days. We would sneak out of the club sometime to smoke pot, but mm-hmm. it was never something that we did quick enough to warrant not putting on your jacket and your shoes." I don't. That, I mean, everyone did drugs in the clubs, yeah. though, back then. I don't yeah. care, like, where you were. Like, that was a part of the experience, right? Yeah. Am I wrong? Or no. am I just, like, watching the wrong thing or reading I, I think, I mean, in that day and age, maybe it was a little different in small-town Texas, but it's still late seven. We're coming right out of the flower child. Yeah, and, like, cocaine's on the rise. Yeah, Everyone's cocaine is, like, like wanting ooh. to go party all the time. So, mm-hmm. I mean, even if it is Midland, people are still doing everything that the rest of the country is doing right yeah i think so. yeah i think so so i think i don't know that her shoes being there very weird and it's also so why would i'm back to why would ron abandon the car because if he was borrowing it and thought that she had left with a friend even if he still had more errands to do the next day why mm-hmm. wouldn't he bring it back to her parents house right why would he abandon it why wasn't she reported missing for five days that means her parents didn't expect her home Maybe That's, someone told them, hey, right, or called saying, hey, this is Christy. I'm going to be mm-hmm. staying with Janice for the week, whatever. Right. It could have been, it may not have been on their negligence. You know what I mean? Right. That's That was my first instinct, that they yeah. weren't shitty parents. You know, it, it was just, she was 19. Wrong information. She was living on her own. Maybe she worked the next few days and she would go stay out and like mm-hmm. stay at a friend's house. Maybe Ron, I kept seeing the word friend. Maybe he was her boyfriend. 
and that's why he was borrowing the car and she lived with him sometimes so i don't think it's i don't think anything bad of her parents but ron knew he was supposed to pick her up at 11 he also had her vehicle he also had her shoes and her coat so he should have immediately expected mm-hmm. foul play especially since her neighbors everyone was kind of shocked this wasn't like christy so i think personally the drive, the 268 miles, someone on WebSleuth said that that is more than enough mileage to drive you to Oklahoma, mm-hmm. drop something off, and then drive your ass back, and then abandon the car. So there were, um, and we know Jane Doe's that he found, went north. We don't know that he went north. Okay. And we don't know that he put the mileage on the car. But I think that's the most logical conclusion because he Unless had Unless he was forced i mean that would explain why he didn't go to the cops why he didn't do anything about anything and why everything was just left you i mean i don't care if it's 1980 you're not stupid if you you know if i leave my friend's car somewhere and she's missing and you know blah 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 blah, all this circumstantial stuff it's gonna look weird that's true so unless he was made to do that yeah this guy's a fucking idiot if so right a really lucky idiot yeah but also him being dead a year later that also leads to he's the only one that knows anything about anything was he were they involved in any sort of drug Drug running or something Yeah. yeah anything like that that would mean christy was taken killed dumped somewhere probably and Ron knew enough that he had to die later. Or did he mm-hmm. die by suicide? Did mm-hmm. he have guilt? Did I want to know how he died. That would be extremely helpful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to Just probably me together. and all the web sleuths out there. Because yeah. it's been over 37 years since her disappearance. And nothing, nothing has happened. They recently, in the last year, raised the um, reward to $6,000. But unless they swabbed any DNA from the car... And just kept it on file. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know why they would, unless they did something like that, which they didn't because no. it's the eighties. Yeah. But there's no, there's gonna be no break in the case because the only person who knew what happened to her is dead. And I mean, I feel like it would be beneficial to have figured out what direction he went. Because mm-hmm. if you go west, you're gonna hit this town. If you go east, you're gonna hit this town. Vice yeah. versa, every other direction. And maybe you could start interviewing people of like maybe he stopped at this place to put right. some gas in his car and see, hey. Did you see a girl with him? Did you see anything suspicious? Like process of elimination of just doing basic detective work. Like, yeah, I mean, did they open the trunk? And because I remember in the Kathy, Casey Anthony case, mm-hmm. her dad and the guy at the junkyard or the tow truck place mm-hmm. could smell death coming from the car. Mm-hmm. Like, did they look for anything like that? Did they look for any? Was there blood in the car? Mm-hmm. Was there? Did they do did their due have diligence any, enough? You know, scratches or cuts yeah. or like any sort of bruising or like defense from you know someone else like attacking who him who was he was he a you know a, a well-known guy in the town was mm-hmm. he you know kind of like the guy who killed brian dinicky was he looked on as a a good kid a golden child so maybe he was like well we'll give you a polygraph because we have to but you're a good kid so we're letting you go or did he really have nothing to do with it mm-hmm. i just don't think that's likely because over here (laughs) um i don't think that's likely because he had her car he abandoned her car he didn't tell her parents he didn't look for her like his story seems shaky like oh i went to pick her up at 11 i found her shoes in her coat but i figured she just like left so i kept her car sounds like a bad lie this guy just sounds like a moron right and him being dead definitely weird but the extra mileage really is concerning and i hope 
I hope we just don't know that police asked him, like, what did you do with the car? Why was it abandoned? Why did you have the car? What they are these 268 have, miles? But the case is still open, so they can't really divulge. Yeah, you know? that's true. They can't. And their only fucking, their only lead is yeah. dead. But they cleared him so quickly. They probably didn't look into him enough. And then a year later. They could like, have gone back to interview him and then he's, and he's gone. Dead. Yeah. Yeah. When maybe if he did die by suicide, he kind of got a whiff that they were going back for him and decided to do that. You know, yeah. like I would really be interested in knowing if they have DNA, probably not. If they asked about the mileage and if they if they really fully cleared him like and I want to know how he died, of course. I mean, and Christy, I want to know. Fucking, yeah. Where the fuck is Christy? I think that they probably attempted to do something because I mean, yeah, it is a small town, but. That means that there's more eyes on you, sort of, of that you have yeah. a missing girl. You know, she's you got a blonde, follow white through, girl. Right. Yeah. Or and brunette. so I don't think that they would have just been like, yeah, you're clear, man. We're not going to find her. She's gone. I really hope not, which is why I would like to know what his status was mm-hmm. in the town, what his family I status just, like, was. I get like a feeling that he's like older, a little bit older. That's what I do, you know? too. Uh, an older friend or an older boyfriend. May, like, my mind is immediately like Maybe she's she getting dropped with. off as, at a club. He has her car, so he's, like, coercive enough to get her to loan him the car. And they also knew each other close enough. Maybe he was pimping her out. That's possible. That sounds mean. But, I mean, I mean, but it, it's possible because yeah. we just don't know enough about either of them. She's, I got this off of the Texas Rangers um, mm-hmm. most wanted missing persons. So she's yeah. on this list. And I was like, what the fuck? You think they would have more information? Exactly. They at have least nothing for everyone to like consider. Yeah, and the web sleuths people like um, people were pulling Jane Doe's found in other states mm-hmm. that match her description, but some of them have little tattoos, and she mm-hmm. didn't have tattoos. She had a tooth missing, and some of these girls that were found, they had extensive extensive dental work, but mm-hmm. they didn't have a tooth missing. That's like so many women that fit her demographic. But just not yeah. enough. Not there's like one thing. So I don't know. She just the earth opened up and swallowed yeah. her. She's Literally, gone. Though that's terrible. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely. I want to know. This case is probably gonna bug me for a while. And it's she obviously got sucked into another dimension. Dimension. Oh my god, wouldn't that be I'm fucking sorry. crazy? And that's that why the club joke. closed because they were like, oh shit. It Maybe it got out. like bad publicity or something like that. I'm sure it got bad publicity. Because it's not the club's fault, unless, unless they had zero security the or like right. you know no one gave a fuck about anything or they're feeding underage kids alcohol and yeah. drugs. But which I'm sure they were. But I mean, if let's say she had her coat and shoes off to dance, and then someone snatched her and took her, it still makes no sense what Ron did after that. Yeah. So I really think he has something to do with it. But it also makes no sense until we know how he dies. It makes no sense. Why he died. Do you right. know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. If he was found murdered, then it totally negates his sort of theory of him doing it. That's true, because that would totally point more towards drug runners or yeah. something. But Midland isn't super close to Mexico. It could it's be not- both. I mean, he could have just been a shitty guy who did something shitty to his friend. Yeah. And then he could have gotten killed for being a shitty guy, too. I That's true. I really, if Ew, someone like has better, well, if someone has an Ancestry.com um, <laughs> subscription, because I used to, and then I decided not to pay for it anymore, and I don't want to now. So if you already have one, search Ron, or probably Ronald, 
Ferenberg, F-E-R-R-E-N-B-U-R-G, from Midland, Texas. He died in October of 1981. If you can find his uh, date of birth would help. <laughs> so we knew if he yeah, was like a age. peer. And I mean, then his obituary should like pop up, right? His obituary did nothing on the internet. So because usually like findagrave.com or something yeah. exists, but not for this guy. So it makes me really wonder about him. No one cared. Yeah. yeah. Why is it Send gone? It over. That's even know. more fishy. Like right. who wants to cover up this guy's existence right now? Like I'm searching him again. It's like, <laughs> you know, sometimes those small towns hold the biggest secrets and all the corruption, you know, mm-hmm. and not that Midland's super small, but it's small enough. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we can say fuck you, Ron. Um, we can definitely, I don't know, mourn the loss of Christy. I don't yeah. really don't think. I mean, she hasn't been declared dead in absentia yet. They haven't? I don't think so. Wow. It's still an I'm open surprised. case. She's still an active missing person. I mean, the case could still be open, but yeah. her death could be, you know. I, I, think she, yeah. probably, I wonder if her parents are still alive or any family member to like. My mom's. Mom is still alive. She's in her 80s, so Your it's possible. Grandma? Yeah. But I mean, my mom was born the same year as her, so it's possible. Oh, okay. I see yeah, what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. I was like, why are you saying my mom's mom? <laughs> yeah. So I wish we had more that we could say about Christy. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Her pictures will post. She seems really cute and really cool. I mean, she had the cool, she had cool hair. But yeah, fuck, man. Don't go to a club by yourself. No, no. Don't take your shoes off either because it's yeah, harder to run if you need to. Well, that's just nasty. It is. That club. That club. Yeah. <laughs> um, do I have anything else? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I never asked. <laughs> no, I, I, the only because we kind of went through all the questions that I had sort of like I wanted to know more about her like family dynamic. If there were video cameras anywhere. I don't highly doubtful. And then like where her clothes were found. Um, I hate that it's also unknown. Like we don't have any documentation or in, any information that the police can corroborate. This is for certain. This is for certain, or any factual whatever. Yeah. And I wish that there was like an interview with the family or yeah a friend besides obviously Ron. But I wish too. That would be very helpful. It's annoying. I'm sorry, Christy. No. Sorry, Christy's family. Okay. So. Hmm. Randomly, the other night, I got, uh, like, four more case suggestions from Shay, like I told you before uh, we started recording. And this is the one that I wanted to talk about immediately because it was fairly recent and different from uh, my usual child murder. So we'll see how this one goes. (laughs) Yeah, yay, no child murders this week. (laughs) Uh, So picture it, November 2015, Austin, Texas. This is in the Hyde Park neighborhood. Oh, wow. So I kind of covered this case backwards because I like delved into questions and theories on the offender before I even like read the full events of actually what happened. So this is it was kind of interesting to see how it played out in accordance to my initial opinion of the perpetrator because I just started reading a thing and then went into it and I started like researching immediately and like writing out stuff. Okay. so I shouldn't have done that if that made sense. Yeah, probably not. All right, so what I'm going to read off next is one of the first things I saw before learning about the other details in the case, and this is where I started kind of writing and diagnosing things with, you know, my expert opinion. So this is where I will begin. That was a joke. All right, it's fine. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I said I had an expert opinion, and I don't. (laughs) Do you want me to let you finish (laughs) so you can pay attention? I'm good. Okay, no, no, no. I just don't want you to have to, like, be like, what? I forgot about that part. (laughs) All right, quote. So, okay, I'll start with the exciting bit. I stabbed an innocent woman to death earlier today. Well, yesterday, because it's 1 a.m. It was absolutely fantastic. 
Murder gives me a high unlike any other. It feels like this crisp unreality, flashing and sparkling, adrenaline and shock, fight or flight mode. How do I even go about describing it? The whole thing was unreal. I'm so proud of myself. I stabbed her like 20 times, maybe more. She screamed and grabbed me saying, what the fuck? Help, leave. For now, I should explain why. Other than the fact that I... (laughs) I'm a homicidal psychopath. I have a deep hatred towards people right now. Yesterday, I lost my other gold ring I've worn all my life on a chain around my neck as it was ripped off by a girl I was murdering. Fate is weird. Oh, my God. End quote. Who is this fucking monster? So, before I go any further, I started doing, like, my forensic linguistics opinion about this whole diary entry. Dear diary. Yes. What the fuck? So, the entry says they have a deep hatred quote, right now. This got me wondering what led up to the right now that they're referring to that made them, you know, have this hatred. Was there possibly a catalyst to the stabbing is my point. The diary also mentions a gold ring and says it was ripped off by a girl I was murdering. Emphasis on a. Yeah, like there's been multiple. Yeah, so I thought that it was weird that they didn't write this girl or the girl. It was a girl. So immediately to me, it seems like the offender is kind of placing some distance, mm-hmm. um, some form of distance between themselves and the victim. Just kind of like in the last episode with Eric Nano, he said, it's up in the attic, referring to the corpse of mm-hmm. Nicole. They um, each place distance on, you know, kind of the humanity of the victim, leading me to think that the offender could just lack empathy or, you know, view people as objects or could affirm, you know, a real lack of relationship between them which could kind of be a huge problem when narrowing down suspects um or there could be like you said more victims i feel like we're recording at like 12 in the afternoon everyone so this is not normal i feel like this is like nighttime talk um the phrasing used in the diary entry makes it seem like the offender is almost kind of novice yet sort of not completely inexperienced in my opinion um really yeah documenting and kind of bragging about your success in a diary could even be deemed as narcissistic behavior mm-hmm. and kind of the quote i'm proud of myself myself gives off a mild like first timer vibe yeah. like they like pop their murder cherry or something you know they've um, been really fantasizing about it for mm-hmm. a long time you do that yeah, fantasizing etc etc But the way they describe the act of killing someone and how it makes them feel presents kind of an air of familiarity, Mm -hmm. of previously experienced pleasure. I could even go as far as to say that that killing someone gives them a sense of nostalgia because of the emotions it brings to them. Um, I kind of went off the deep end on this really quick, but I think it's interesting. So they say it feels like when they're saying, almost inferring when they've killed, like they've killed someone on multiple occasions, like feels like, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Instead of one sole murder, it felt like mm-hmm. feels gives off a, a plural which is why they feel juvenile to me because mm-hmm. it's like you're you sound like you're doing it for the first time but you also sound like you've done yeah. this so many times so but like you said it could be them fantasizing <laughs> okay so this is where i kind of like stopped my forensic linguistics moment there so on to the rest of the story our victim in this case is a 23 year old woman who has preferred to actually remain anonymous wait oh that's right yeah. Do I, I might not say that yet. <laughs> I can, like, turn it down. Okay. Um, however, so this is kind of weird. She is filmed in a few interviews. Um, oh. Obviously, her anonymity isn't too important, but um, she's referred to as Katie. Okay. <clears throat> I don't really understand how you can, like, show your face but still remain on. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Maybe you just don't want your name to be attached to, like, internet searches. I guess. I guess. That's true. I don't know. Maybe, like, for job interviews. Yeah. Ugh, weird. Um, 
so she yeah she's referred to as katie i'm uncertain if that's her real name so to make it easier i kind of wrote her in as katie just to keep it if you look up anything on her as katie Katie, 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 Katie. Uh, it was Tuesday, November 17th, 2015, around 7 to 7.30 in the morning when Katie and a guy she was with were laying on a blanket outside his apartment on the sidewalk. Um, by the way, this guy is actually never mentioned by name as well. Okay. I couldn't find a quote from him, police report, court document, anything that mentioned that this guy, uh, who he is, and I don't know how he really kind of managed to stay out of it entirely. Interesting. Yeah, because... It's a bit annoying because I feel like reading police statements or like trial testimony would have been helpful or, you know, at yeah, least interesting. I don't, I don't understand. Be, yeah. yeah. Um, so back out on the sidewalk on a blanket, um, you know, naturally, as you do on a date. Well, I mean, Hyde Park, though, that's super. They're outside of his apartment. Oh, okay, that's weird. At 730 in the morning. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's weird. I was yeah. like, maybe they were tanning. Maybe they were. Yeah, sure. Okay, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Like the week before Thanksgiving in Texas. Oh, that's right. Sure. Totally disregarded the date. Yeah. Okay. So that's weird. We're, that's weird. Yeah. Um, articles kind of differ on this information, but this is the version that was a little more fun to me. So according to one article, Katie had been on a date with the guy the night prior and most likely, likely slept over, hence why she was exiting his apartment early in the morning. Around this time, the guy briefly goes inside to use the bathroom, leaving Katie unattended outside. And I actually <clears throat> looked up the exact time when the sunrise was on Tuesday in, or that Tuesday on, in 2015 because I know daylight savings is kind of around there. Uh-huh. So I just kind of wanted to know what the ambiance was for this odd hour date, whatever. Um, the source said 7.23 a.m. was the appro- approximate sunrise. So hypothetically, the sun wouldn't fully be up, but it was approaching. So Katie and her date's vision might have been hindered a little bit yeah. uh, with lingering darkness, especially after, you know, being up all night. Being heathens. <laughs> um, <laughs> Children of Satan. <laughs> Lucky. Um, I also looked at the address that uh, they were at. And I wanted to know what was maybe the reason for being outside in the first place. Because I was yeah. like, is there a pretty view or something scenic? You just said, you know, Hyde Park is really nice. Is this right around? This yeah. is, I just typed in Hyde Park. Yeah, there's a bunch of trees. But okay. it wasn't anything crazy it was kind of basic so i don't really think that there was i think they were just honestly sitting outside getting some fresh air watching the sunrise nothing to whatever um so we will however come to find out that the victim katie is a nurse so perhaps she had an early shift that's why she was awake at such an early hour wanted to like just hang out with him whatever um okay so at this point on the sidewalk the guy goes inside like i said katie begins to close her eyes and slightly doze off And this is when she was abruptly awakened when someone jumps out of the bushes and proceeds to violently stab her more than 20 times before fleeing the scene and in the attacker's mind, leave her to bleed out and die. Luckily for Katie, she survives. Yay! Yay. Uh, She was, however, left with a collapsed lung, severed muscle tissue, and permanent nerve and tendon damage. Um, I have pictures that are pretty crazy, and she comments on what her rehab was like, but... um, She underwent months of intense physical therapy, but she credits her career as a nurse as being the key to her survival and recovery. Um, And like I said, I'll refer to her recovery a little bit more during questions and theories. Oh, my God. If she had died, her date would have 100% gone down for this. How do you explain? Yeah, Yeah, that's true. How do you explain that away? I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's actually a good point. So um, the best part, she also attests to seeing her attacker smile as they repeatedly stabbed her. Police also said that they found a gold ring partially covered in blood on the sidewalk near where Katie's body was recovered. Yeah, don't write anything in your diary. Yeah, so remember that gold ring I mentioned earlier. (laughs) 
Um, so now it wouldn't be until three months after Katie's attack that the perpetrator would be arrested. So Christmas passes, New Year's passes, all the other made up bullshit passes. And on Valentine's Day of 2016, police would be called to the home of Pearl Moen. Pearl. Pearl Ophelia Seibel Selkie Scott Moen, to be exact. That's fake. That she made. Um, that she might have just had a lot of dads. I don't know, man. Oh my. Uh, and she had just turned eighteen. What? Two months before the stabbing. This shit's crazy. Mm-hmm. An article says this about her: "Quote Pearl Moen. She is kind of cute with long brown hair. She is deceptively cute because she is a murderous hell beast in disguise. Mm-hmm. So that's a new one, hell beast. You know. Hell um. So I have my third solo female offender." I can't believe it. That's yeah. never been a thing for me. So I had Mona Nelson and then I had Rachel Pittman in episode 28. And now I have Pearl Moen. So shortly prior to the 911 call on Valentine's Day, Pearl, along with her then boyfriend and her mother, would engage in a domestic disturbance at their home on Avenue C, just two blocks from where the stabbing occurred on 44th and Speedway. I didn't confirm if Avenue C was two blocks away. I just took the word of the article. <laughs> so sorry if I'm wrong. Uh, however, according to some articles, um, either the mom or the boyfriend was injured, but I didn't read any specifics on the injuries sustained. So something kind of physical definitely happened. It wasn't just like a screaming match. Um, her mother pissed the fuck off and having recently seen a flyer posted about the stabbing of Katie with the description of the suspect called APD to say her daughter owned, quote, many knives and at one point, quote, made a joke about the stabbing incident by taking a knife and pretending to stab her boyfriend. Oh, my God. Go, Mom. (laughs) Pearl allegedly also told her boyfriend she had killed someone around the time of the attempted murder. Yes. I mean, who hasn't pretended to stab their boyfriend? Am I right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) So soon after this call alleging Pearl's involvement, detector, detector, detective Robert, Holsenbach, forensic files, obtained a search warrant for the home where Pearl was found and arrested on her family violence charge. So they didn't even bring up the stabbing thing yet. They're just getting her on the domestic bullshit. This is when it kind of gets real. So investigators search through the house and find Pearl's diary. Red Mm, flag. Never keep a diary. Um, as soon as y'all heard diary, you should have realized that it was a teenage girl yes, that wrote it. So. Absolutely. Either I was thinking either teenage girl or legitimately like a 44 year old pedophile. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, it contained, quote, detailed descriptions of the stabbing refer to the quote I st- stated at the beginning. So this is the best part, as well as a hand drawn picture of a male and female lying on a blanket on the sidewalk next to a hedge. Basically, the exact scene. The, it matched the, the, the attack entirely. Um, the drawing even specified details down to Katie's clothing that she had on that morning. I would love <gasps> to be in the room after her defense lawyer leaves and just is by himself like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what How do I, I do now? defend this bitch? Yeah. <laughs> um, after her home was searched and the evidence was obtained, Promone was held on a million dollar bond. Fucking APD. That's awesome. <laughs> and police and the state believed that they had enough on Pearl um, and was soon uh, charged with aggravated assault and attempted murder. The charges, trial, and sentencing are a little confusing in this case, so I'll try to break it down for you. So for some reason, I watched all these videos and there's a lot of terminology that got me confused. So this is the easiest way to kind of go about it. The DA only went after the attempted murder charge. And in turn kind of fucked himself because Texas has a state or a state, a statute in its code of criminal procedure that's commonly known as 3G. 
It designates crimes that uh, the state deems to be very dangerous. And capital murder is listed here as well as aggravated kidnapping, injury to a child, sexual assault, criminal solicitation, or any felony where a deadly weapon was used or exhibited during the commission of the crime or during the flight from the crime. The code stipulates that those found to have committed 3G crimes only are ineligible for parole until half of their sentence has been served, good behavior or not. Non-3G crimes allow offenders to be up for parole a quarter of the way through their sentence with good behavior, which could ultimately reduce one's time spent between incarceration and their first parole hearing from a quarter of their sentence to an eighth. Big surprise. Attempted murder does not rise to the level of a 3G crime. No. What? Unless so it should have been aggravated assault that they went for. Yeah. Okay. Unless there was an affirmative, an affirmative finding that a deadly weapon was used. The murder weapon was never found. Oh. The type of knife or weapon used was never specified in any articles that I read. So besides her diary entries, they supposedly found a jacket with dried blood on it. But I'm uncertain if that really had anything to do with the stabbing. Wow. So like murder weapon wise, like they couldn't determine anything. Damn. That's the only smart thing she did. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what she did with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the DI. OK. I need this. I'm not even drinking, you guys. I'm literally like <laughs> this. Like I said, not even. No. The DA at the time did not know that little rule about the 3G good behavior clause. Oh, fuck. How do you not know? Right. I d- uh, when he nixed her aggravated assault charge and handed her a plea bargain. Oh, why? Why? We have her. We know. She took the plea that offered her 15 years for attempted murder instead of the usual 20, plus her expedited parole hearings because of good behavior. Her first hearing was six months after her incarceration began in November 2017. The DA actually claims he didn't realize the peculiarity of the sentencing until, quote, the victim contacted him to ask why Pearl was due for a hearing. The area of Austin this occurred in is known as Hyde Park, like I mentioned, and the residents at the time were instructed to write letters to the Board of Paroles and Pardons requesting Pearl's release to be denied so katie is on film requesting this effort to be continued every time pearl is up for parole um another fun side note is that the board of paroles and pardons posted a 34 percent parole approval rate in 2016 that's too high violent aggravated and non-sexual cases at 36 percent and those classified as violent non-aggravated non-sexual cases at 27 percent so she classifies as non-aggravated so basically Why? saying over a quarter of the people who qualify for her type of crime were released on parole in 2016. Just to want to like put that in perspective for people, okay? Yay. But that was after, you know, so many years. But still. But still, why is she not aggravated? I don't know, man. She jumped out of the bushes and stabbed and then... Because they don't have a weapon. Mm, that's so frustrating. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. Even though they're stab wounds, <laughs> they can't oh say whatever. Oh, my yeah. God. In response to Pearl getting a parole review after only spending six months in prison, regardless of its denial, Katie is quoted saying, I felt as though I deserved at least five years of not to think about this. Pearl, by the way, is reportedly earning two days toward her sentence for every one day. She's a good inmate. And her next parole review is actually in two months, November 2018. Um, so, like I said, there are a couple filmed interviews with Katie, and in one, her shirt was actually draped off one of her shoulders, and the other, she's in this kind of, like, purple sleeveless blouse. And in each of them, you can see these massive scars from her sutures that she had to have done for each of her stab wounds. 
And she explains how she was stabbed so severely in her legs that she had to move in with her parents and they had to help her learn to walk properly again. And she had to learn how to bathe and feed herself again because of the muscle and neurological damage that she sustained from the stab wounds. Lastly, an article states, if Pearl walks free, Katie knows her worst fears could come true. Quote, that girl who tried to kill me is going to think, oh, what I did wasn't that bad. And that's what I fear the most, because what she did was terrible, and she could do this again to somebody, and knowing this person could describe me in this way and have no remorse is the heart, was the hardest part for me. Pearl Moen's earliest release date is May 9th, 2022, and her latest is February 27th, 2031. She would be free at 33 years old. Questions and theories. Um, this part is kind of the most important part to the whole case itself, because um, it is believed by most that Pearl, Katie, and the guy that Katie was with really had no knowledge of each other. Um, police believe this was a purely random attack, and um, I don't really know what Pearl has to say about this. If she was asked, you know, do you know them? Was this random? I'm not entirely certain uh, what she thinks of the whole thing. Um, but this crime, by all accounts, seems personal to me. Um, this attack is kind of hard to narrow down of it, you know, whether it's premeditated or a crime of passion. We kind of know um, that women in general commit more personal crimes than men. But when you take into account the stabbing and the overkill and also the fact that it's, you know, super early, 730 in the morning, that could mean there's a bunch of witnesses heading off to school to work. Um, it seems kind of like a crime of passion in some shape or form by just the high risk of being caught, being seen, um, things like that. But on the other hand, she was hiding out in bushes with a weapon handy. She patiently waited. She drew a picture of the couple. Um, she just watched and she observed the two. And that doesn't really, to me, sound like an impassioned, enraged killer on this jealous whim. Um, that kind of shows some form of premeditation or at least premed premeditated intent. Um, it's kind of 50-50 in my mind of both. So it's a little hard to... Uh, diagnose, I guess, what she was thinking. You can be a murderer and be completely sane, but to me, you know, what human plops themselves in the bushes and watches and waits for who knows how long for just the right moment for Katie to be vulnerable and alone? And to me, like, that just is someone who knows she or even he is in the apartment and will be coming out. You don't wait until the most inopportune time of 7.30 a.m. to kill someone without reason or connection. Um, and so I feel like hypothetically, if this was kind of a one night stand and the couple wasn't dating or in some form of relationship, I would have to assume that her original target was the guy and not Katie, because I read later that Pearl actually lived near him for a while. And in turn, that kind of would just by default lead to more opportunities for her to observe him rather than Katie. The living proximity is really the only connection that these three people have. And so I feel like if they were consistently dating or having sex, you know, placing Katie at his apartment often enough for Pearl to recognize her, then that would in turn add more validity to maybe a stalking theory. Um, hypothetically, it could be seen that, you know, she was waiting for him and stalking him in the bushes and jealousy and rage took over and, you know, she didn't want anyone to have him. It, he was only hers or whatever. Um, but for the details in the drawing specifically to be about Katie, not even to mention the attack was on Katie, not just by default of him going inside and her being left alone. But I think it, it leads more towards uh, an angry assault on her because of maybe an obsession with him. Um, I could be totally wrong. Probably am. But it's all right. It's my podcast. Um, 
I feel like a crime of this weird hybrid of premeditated passion could also explain her not caring if there were witnesses that morning, could explain her hiding out, and could explain, you know, the overkill as well. Um, and this was all what I researched like a week ago because when we decided to record earlier this week, and so like segue to me on Sunday, the day or two before we record, and I proceed to find an article that kind of messed all of this up. This is um, what I'll read next is this kind of really great buzzkill to my theory, but I'm glad I found it because um, it's very informative if it is true. Um, I asked Cassie when we first recorded this, if she ever, you know, sits and reads the comments on news articles or posts wherever, a blog, whatever, to see if you can get some good information from locals or people, you know, remotely connected to the case, whether, you know, it's fabricated or not, there's some good fun theories or some actual good information that is found in those comment sections. So this is a paraphrasing of a super lengthy comment left on a website that published an article on Valentine's Day, one year after Pearl's mother had called the cops on her. Quote, I read the article written about this individual and was deeply disturbed, not only by her crime, but by the absolute lack of knowledge the press, the victim, or anyone has about her life. Pearl was my oldest and dearest childhood friend. We grew up in North Carolina together, and what struck me most about her when we first met as little girls was her capacity for love and empathy far beyond her years. She would beg little boys not to kick trees, since according to her, trees have feelings too. She was funny, creative, and full of curiosity and joy and love for the world around her. The abuse she suffered is not mine to share the entirety of. I will assure you with the level of certainty that only someone who knows her intimately can provide that she was badly, badly hurt at a very young age and was not given help when she sought it. She moved away to Texas when she was 10, and I only saw her during summers after that. She tried her hardest to light up Texas like she did North Carolina, but her genuine love and kindness and empathy got her into situations which which spelled her downfall. An older man she thought was her friend took advantage of her when she was 13, and a group of older teenagers took her under her wing around the same time. But 13 was the beginning of the end. She spent four years losing her mind, drowning in heroin, alcohol, methamphetamines, and God knows what else. Uh, The horrors that she had to endure were something that she refused to talk about even with me, tried to conceal and obscure them with highs and lows of crashing and burning, desperately courting death with direct attempts at her own life mixed with her other suicidal behavior. The struggle of learning that her actions at her worst don't define her goodness as a person is something that she will struggle with for years. The compassion she showed me, the trees, and everyone she met, even those who hurt her, was not returned and nobody seems to care that beneath the drugged-out shell she made for herself, there's a gentle, fun-loving, vivacious soul with so, so much to offer someday. Her drug-induced psychotic break, which may have lasted a couple of months, has lifted, and she's trying so hard to process everything which has happened to her, everything she's done, and takes full responsibility for her actions. Taking responsibility for her actions and serving her time in prison is the best she can do, For the woman she attacked. She wishes at this point only for the woman to continue to heal and recover from the trauma she's caused. The bottom line is that the way you, the media, and the world in general portrays this incarcerated girl as shallow and disrespectful is inappropriate. She is dedicated to recovering from her trauma and processing her pain and deserves to be recognized for her true self. A girl who wants to help, a girl who smiles, and a girl who has a will to live and imagine and grow. End quote. Um, Of course, all of the replies to this comment were very hateful um, statements like cry me a river and um, not everyone with mental illness or victim uh, or victims of abuse kill people, so on and so forth. 
Um, but I really, I honestly that thought that if that comment is true, that that story was, you know, not falsified. It was done very well. I feel like the person who wrote this didn't really list any excuses for Pearl's actions. All they really said was that Pearl had a really rough upbringing. She had a shit life. She made a bunch of mistakes. You know, she turned to drugs and alcohol and then she fucked up big time by stabbing someone. Um, and she, but at the end of the day, she's trying to get better and serve her time in prison and, you know, do as she's been told. So I guess I kind of just wanted to say to Pearl that if that story is true and if you hear this one day that I hope that you get help and that like your friend said, I hope that you process your pain through therapy and I hope that you get rehabilitation someday because many people that are incarcerated and that get paroled do not have that luxury. So um, that is the story of the attempted murder of some girl potentially named Katie in Austin, Texas and her perpetrator, uh, then 18 year old Pearl Moen. Um, I wasn't really sure if I should add this in, but I will since I kind of did before um, it got not recorded. Um, but I don't really ever want to take away an avenue of support for the victim. So since Pearl is up for parole again, like I said in November, I'll post in the show notes all the information where you can mail, fax, or email a letter to support the request for denial of her release if you feel so compelled. Um, all right, so for the third time, fuck me. That's gonna wrap up episode thirty-six. Um, <laughs> you might have noticed that Hannah was by herself for a good portion of yeah. the story, because it was recording and then it wasn't. Yeah, so. <laughs> we don't understand how many. Well, it's because we're recording in the afternoon. That's what we decided on. Yeah, everything's thrown again. off. The vibe, everything. Oh yeah. Um, next week is gonna be our year anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Cassie has a haunted murder. I have a murder that um, makes reference to our first episode ever. And that's all. That's it. Yeah. And if you want to donate to our PayPal, that and like different other links and shit will be in the show notes. <laughs> and remember, if you donate, we will do any case that you want us to cover. Any at all. No mm-hmm. restrictions. Even if it's one that we've said that we won't do ever. So thanks again for listening. Yes. And we'll be back next week with more Texas True Crime. And if anyone's listening, happy Happy Halloween. Halloween.